It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. (laughs) Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we are one week removed now from an annual industry event in Anaheim put on by the National Indian Gaming Association. And perhaps the biggest news coming out of that trade show is that the organization is no longer the National Indian Gaming Association. It is now just the Indian Gaming Association, as finally, someone decided it would be best to stop using the acronym N-I-G-A, pronounced NIGA, but vulnerable to mispronunciation. So now it's just IGA. If you ask me, they should have followed the lead of the folks in Cleveland and become the National Guardian Gaming Association. That would have solved the problem, right? N-G-G-A? Okay, maybe not. Uh, John, simple question. Can you believe it took until 2022 for this change to be made? You've got me dancing on a wire here. Um, (laughs) I would simply say that, well, whoever wanted to be the person who said, you know, about this acronym, what about it? What do you mean? (laughs) Uh, Nothing, nothing. Never mind. You know, that probably happened a lot over the years. So anyway, out of respect for former Gamble on podcast guest Victor Roca, who was chairman of the recent IJ event, the least we could do is mention that there was a lot of discussion on one panel but the likelihood of three sports betting ballot questions coming to California voters in November. And one panel has even predicted that the most likely outcome is that all three measures fail, which I found very interesting. Hmm. All right. Look at you turning it in a serious uh, newsworthy sort, sort of direction instead of focusing purely on, on the controversial acronym like I am. Um, I'll just say that certainly uh, IGA works for me should work for everyone. Yeah. I think even if you're one of those people who complains about woke culture and, and bending over backward <laughs> to please everyone, I think this is one where what are you sacrificing to avoid the potential offensiveness? You know, there's there's no downside to changing to IGA other than having to redesign a logo and update your web address, stuff like that. So yeah, I think um, uh, in New yeah. Jersey, it was the Casino Industry Association of Jersey, and they became the Casino Association of New Jersey or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, eventually you realize like, wait, do we really need that extra word? You know, so. <laughs> right. Short. Yeah. Shortening it up one way or the other is ne- rarely a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I- I'm still shocked this didn't happen about 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> but I guess we can still file this under better late than never or better. Unbelievably, astonishingly late than never in this case. All right. I'm moving on. Okay. (laughs) Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 191 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 190 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review praising us for having an inoffensive name. 
Okay. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros Director of Content, Matt Friedman. He's one of the foremost NFL mock drafters and draft bettors. Give his last minute thoughts on what to expect from when the draft begins tonight. But first, it's been a typically busy week, I would say, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start this week with the announcement of a partnership between quite possibly the biggest name brand in American sports and quite possibly the biggest name brand in American sports betting. On Monday, the New York Yankees revealed a multi-year deal to make FanDuel the organization's official sports betting partner. The deal gives FanDuel advertising space in the stadium and rights to use the Yankees logo, as most deals like this do. But the big question unanswered for now is whether there will be a physical FanDuel branded sportsbook in Yankee Stadium. The Mets made a deal with Caesars three weeks ago, and that includes a 13,000 square foot sportsbook slash lounge that's expected to open sometime this season. No similar arrangement has been announced yet for the Yankees and FanDuel. In the gambling industry, a sportsbook partnering with a sports team was huge news three years ago. Nowadays, it's not something we delve into on Gamble On very often. However, this one feels a little different because it's the Yankees and because they happen to be partnering with the book that is winning the New York handle and revenue wars so far. John, how much does this news move the needle for you now, almost four years post-PASPA? And would some sort of sports betting lounge with kiosks be a big deal at Yankee Stadium? Are there enough people coming to the games who want to bet and don't have the app on their phones? Well, full disclosure, my wife won tickets at work to Tuesday's Yankees-Orioles game, but I had a conflict with a dental appointment, so we didn't go. Uh, that's significant. Because it would have been my first time uh, visiting the 12-year-old mall park. Hmm. My outsider sense of fan sentiment is that the place already is so corporate that nothing is going to change that perception. One key is that unlike New Jersey, which will not allow a teller or kiosk bet anywhere but a casino or racetrack in the state, New York elected officials already have talked about granting permission for stadiums and arenas to offer bets directly. In fact, the bill to allow that wagering is winding through the political process in Albany right now. So that would make a sports book a bit more appealing to those who don't like to use apps as well as a casual fan who might think it'd be fun to push 10 or 20 bucks through the window on the Yankees money line while they're at the game. They don't see the point in signing up because the bet is just a one-off. They're not going to do it regularly. So uh, I do think that this is a, a good deal for FanDuel and for Caesars uh, for that reason. Um, and again, I, I think the perception is, oh, it's just like really old people don't know how to use an app. And yeah, there's some of that. And baseball fans are old, so that's important. But also, <laughs> So like I said, if you're a really casual uh, sports fan, kind of got free tickets at work, whatever, and you show up, you're not going to bother signing up for an app. You're not going to bet the games. But while you're there, you might say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll throw 20 bucks to this teller. Why not? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a good deal for both of them. And I think it's going to be uh, uh, helpful. And um, it depends on the state. Right. So, again, like New Jersey, you go to. Uh, Prudential Center in Newark, mm -hmm. and there's a William Hill. Well, it used to be William Hill. Uh, right. I guess it's a Caesar. Is it a Caesar's now? Is it uh, yeah. Caesar's has one there too. The okay. point is, you go to the little spot, and then you ask, "Where can I make the bet?" And they point at your phone. <laughs> That's right. where you make it. It's like, <laughs> oh, so what is this here? The four. They've got lines and everything there, but like, yeah, it's all in your phone. So it depends on the state, but I think in New York. Uh, uh, for the stadiums that big and baseball fans being that old, I think it's it's a smart play on both both counts. Yeah, I'm with you on on what purpose these lounges serve. They're they're good for branding and for just kind of spreading the word. And as you said, maybe getting the occasional 
hesitant person to try betting because you don't need an account to walk mm-hmm. up to a kiosk yeah. and put 20 bucks on the game. Uh, but I, I don't think it does much in terms of really generating significant handle or revenue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, viewed through that lens, a FanDuel Sportsbook lounge at Yankee Stadium would still be a huge deal for FanDuel, assuming it eventually happens. Um you know, I'm, I'm kind of hit and miss with my predictions. Uh, so I have to make sure to brag when I happen to get one right. Um, I said in January when Caesars had the early lead in New York that it wouldn't last and Caesars will be number three behind FanDuel and DraftKings by February. So I'm going to pat myself on the back and note that that one turned out correct. Uh, FanDuel is winning another state and uh, I figure partnering with the Yankees can only extend that lead. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but they're good again. Yep. (laughs) All right. Uh, Our second story this week takes us to Colorado, where the state division of gaming levied a fine against Carousel Group, the operator of the Maxim Bet Sportsbook, for allowing bettors outside the state's borders to place wagers. For 16 days last year, from December 1st through 16th, customers were able to get their bets in on Maxim Bet without being geolocated, and the fine is $5,000 per day or $80,000 total. It's interesting how the geolocation fail was finally discovered. Maxim Bet actually self-reported the issue to the Division of Gaming on December 23rd after a better called Maxim Bet's customer service department December 18th when he found himself unable to place a wager due to a failed location check. Maxim Bet informed the customer that bets must be made in Colorado, and he said that hadn't been an issue previously, and that's when Maxim Bet became aware of the problem. Maximbet claims it only found five suspected cases of actual bets placed outside the state, although the Division of Gaming suggested the number was probably higher. Maximbet hired a group called Odds on Compliance to assist them, and Odds on Compliance determined that Maximbet had, for whatever reason, accidentally or otherwise, turned off its geolocation for (laughs) web browsers on November 30th and turned it back on December 17th. On the one hand, kind of a minor story, no major harm done, not a huge fine in the grand scheme of things, but it brings the issue of geolocation back into the spotlight. The technology works, but not if you turn it off. Uh, John, thoughts on the state of geolocation in 2022, the size of this fine, or the fact that if MaximBet hadn't self-reported, chances are they never would have gotten caught? I think the big news here, Eric, is that I guess Maxim Magazine still exists. That's uh, <laughs> shocking to me. You know, I was too old for its demographic when it launched, but I took it as a magazine that appealed to like 20 something dudes who liked seeing mildly racy photo galleries of actresses and singers who they had a crush on when they all were teenagers. Uh, but that was years ago. Um, so for 80 grand, Maxim Bet gets a bit of brand awareness, you know, sure. even gets to be a topic on the National Gamble On podcast. So <laughs> to the extent that the brand presumably still wants to seem edgy, maybe this broadens the appeal. Sign up for the happen. Maybe you get lucky and you can get a bet. And even if you're out of state, I'm saying there's a chance, I guess. <laughs> it's a good outside the box way of looking at this. Uh, I will say I was a 20 something dude when Maxim bet was in its prime. <laughs> My roommate uh, post-college uh, had a subscription to Maxim and uh, yeah, I, I leafed through it from time to time. It, it's exactly, it's exactly what you're saying. A chance to see the sort of celebrity women who were a little too high up on the celebrity food chain to do <laughs> the racier photo shoots, uh, do these semi racy ones, a chance mm-hmm. to see them still with their clothes on, but not all their clothes on, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, enough about that. Um, with regard to the self-reporting, uh, I do think that they had to do that. Um, now, maybe the strategically, like you said, they're, they're thinking of the good public or the, 
no such thing as bad publicity, yeah. publicity uh, of, of making a news story here. I don't know that that's what they had in mind, but I do think they had to be aware that it would have been a lot worse if a better who placed a bet from out of state and lost decided to complain to the commission. And then it's discovered that Max and bet knew it had happened and didn't say anything. So in this case, you eat the $80,000 fine, uh, which that's nothing if you're FanDuel or MGM or whoever. It probably isn't nothing for a smaller book like Maxim Bet, but still, you eat that fine, you take the extra compliance measures they now have to take, and you avoid getting into any more trouble. Uh, it is strange to me that someone in the control room can hit a button and geolocation is turned off. So maybe this will be a wake-up call to all operators to add further safeguards to prevent geolocation from being turned off. You know, make sure that it takes several steps and authentications so it can't happen accidentally or so one rogue employee can't do it by himself. Uh, but all in all, I would say geolocation fails are not a major problem in the industry. I'd say, you know, the technology is strong it's working 99.999% of the time. This is more of a one-off outlier type thing than a serious issue for the industry to contend with, I think. Yeah, with no evidence whatsoever. I'm picturing like somebody tripping over a wire and, <laughs> and the plug falls out and nobody notices it for a couple of weeks. And somebody says, hey, what, what's up with that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'll just plug it back in, you know. And then they find out. I mean, that's extremely unlikely that's what yeah. happened, but I'm going to stick with it anyway. We live in a very wireless society, John. I'm not sure that tripping over a wire works anymore, but I, but I like the imagery anyway. <laughs> All right. For our final story this week, let's turn to the world of poker where the industry has been maybe not rocked, but at least rattled by two separate sets of cheating allegations arising within days of each other. On Dat Poker Podcast, co-hosted by two-time Gambalon guest Daniel Negranu, they spent about an hour breaking this all down. We won't go into nearly as much detail, but the very basics are poker pro Alex Foxen accused fellow pro Ali Imsirovich of cheating saying he uses RTAs, uh, real-time assistance tools that help with on-the-spot calculations. He multi-accounts online, and he engages in chip dumping during live high-roller tournaments, which is when one player intentionally loses chips to another, a form of collusion in what is supposed to be an individual competition. Foxen also pointed out a televised hand in which Imsirovich appeared to be peeking at the whole cards of the player next to him and using that information to make an unorthodox winning play. Foxen and other pros have started advocating for a global poker blacklist. Uh, meanwhile, poker's all-time live tournament money leader, Bryn Kenny, was accused by Martin Zamani of running a cheating operation on GG Poker, a popular poker site that doesn't operate legally in the U.S., the allegations against Kenny are similar to what Foxen accused Imsirovich of, having players collude, chip dump, use RTAs, help each other with hands, etc. Kenny has denied the allegations. One topic of relevance for the legal U.S. gambling industry is whether what's alleged to have happened on GG Poker is any harder to pull off on a regulated site. Whatever comes out of these cases, this seems a wake-up call for the poker community to take policing the game seriously. John, thoughts on any of these allegations of cheating in this peer-to-peer -peer game? And is a blacklist for suspected or alleged cheaters too slippery a slope to introduce? 
Well, you know, I do hope there's a thorough inquiry into all of it and serious penalties might, and I'll just say might you know, be in order for sure. I mean, and as someone who was part of the wave of sports minded fans who got into watching poker on TV 20 years ago, uh, the moneymaker effect as your best selling book was titled. Um, <laughs> all accurate, except maybe the words best selling. But, okay, well, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was always a little baffled as uh, as the poker industry successfully lobbied to bring online casino gaming to New Jersey in 2013. So I was in on the ground floor there and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, how do you know? who you're up against if it's online. And I was once reassured by poker pro Jamie Christetter that on the sort of low stakes games I might try, neither she or other pros would be on there. You know, yes, they'd clean me out in fairly quick fashion, but it was not a sensible use of their time when they can crush even worse players who risk a lot more money. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good to know. So like, yeah, I, I, I'm right that I get killed quickly, but I'm not even worth their time. So that was uh, reassuring. But now the industry doesn't particularly need the occasional low stakes player anyway. You know, far more significant to me is how useful this is for the anti-gambling legalization groups to tell lawmakers in wavering states, see, these games are all rigged. Mm. You know, that would be a severe exaggeration. But hey, it's kind of the realm these days, isn't it? So uh, at least here, there are a couple of kernels of truth in the inevitably exaggerated pitch to those elected officials. So it's all the more reason to come down hard on anyone who clearly has crossed some ethical lines. Yeah, you know, that that point that you raised about how people can spin this uh, into an anti-online poker direction, you know, it remains to be seen if this is bad for regulated online poker in the U.S. Could be for the reason you stated, could be that the regulators can say about GG poker, see, this is what happens when you're unregulated. Uh, also, this might just scare people off from using any poker site if they hear about this. So, yeah, I'd say more cons than pros, but it kind of kind of hard to say exactly how this is going to impact regulated online poker in the U.S. Um, I want to touch on that that blacklist because it, it's one of those ideas that seems good and logical until you start thinking about how it's going to work. You know, mm. what does it take to get someone on the list? Is suspicion enough? You know, lots of players get suspected of cheating in poker. Uh, we all remember the Mike Possel thing that uh, we talked to Joey Ingram about. That was about as blatant a case of what everyone believes to be cheating as we've ever seen. And still Possel is proclaiming his innocence and suing people who said he cheated. So does he end up on the list? Uh, Negreanu raised a good point on his podcast. Do you blacklist someone who say, paid off a ref to fix a basketball game to win at sports betting. He's a cheater and you don't want him in poker, but he hasn't actually been caught cheating at poker. So can you blacklist that guy? Ultimately, I think a blacklist is just way too impractical. So that's, I don't think that's ever going to happen in any sort of formal uh, form really. But um, poker players do need to stand up and say something when they suspect foul play. You know, the community has to look out for itself there aren't really external enforcement mechanisms. It's up to the players to band together and try to take a stand. Unfortunately, there will always be cheaters in a peer-to-peer game, just like there will always be baseball teams trying to steal signs. Uh, When you're gambling against the casino and you can find a gray area edge like Phil Ivey with the edge sorting in Baccarat, that's up to the casino to resolve. It's not every other gambler's problem. Uh, or, you know, you remember my Ocean Magic article about the guys who found a glitch in an online slots game that they took advantage of. Again, it becomes an isolated issue that doesn't directly affect the other gamblers. But with poker, they're not cheating the casino. They're cheating the other players. And the game can't survive if people don't think it's a fair game. Yeah, that, that's uh, very true. They call it peer-to-peer in the New Jersey regulatory uh, world. And that's exactly right. That uh, It's one thing a casino can, their 
big boys. They can take care of themselves. And if they get beat, they get beat. But uh, yeah, to uh, uh, literally appear player, you know, I, I kind of miss the idea of shame in my 60 uh, year old <laughs> Catholic uh, background, uh, you know, used to be shame was enough. You know, if somebody caught you at something, it was a disgrace and you were shamed and that would have meant something. And nowadays it's not so much. <laughs> yeah. Shame doesn't exist anymore, yeah. unfortunately for, uh, for some people it does, but uh, there are enough people who are incapable of feeling shame that, uh, <laughs> that, that we have trouble policing purely with shame. Yes, we do. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. We have arrived at the biggest sports betting event of the year, at least among events that don't involve the actual playing of sports. It's the NFL draft and joining us now to give his insights on the draft betting action is the director of content at fantasy pros and betting pros. You can find him on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle. Let's see just how much of an Oracle he really is. It's Matthew Friedman, Matt, welcome to gamble on. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I will just say I have no prescient insight, especially this year when it comes to the draft. This <laughs> it's uh, it's worse than a crapshoot. All right. Well, that that leads perfectly into the first thing that I want to ask you about the very top of the draft. You know, most years there's a number one pick that crystallizes well in advance, and you know, a few weeks before the draft, you you have a player that is going to go number one. You can't find him at better than like minus 2000 or so, but this year isn't like that three or four different guys have spent time as the favorite to go number one overall. Can you remember a recent year like this up at the very top? Um, and also as we record this interview Wednesday afternoon, who do you expect to go first? And, and what do you think are, are fair odds that reflect your confidence in that pick? So Trevon Walker uh, you know, edge rusher out of Georgia is the guy I expect right now to be the number one pick. And I would say around 60, 65% uh, is the probability I would assign there. And then I would say most of the leftover is going to Aiden Hutchinson. And then a sliver would be for Akim Aquanu. But really, by the time uh, this airs tomorrow, you know, or by the time the draft gets here tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> really what, what's going to happen. And this does make me think of uh, the Baker Mayfield draft. Mm. You, you know, you ask the question, have we seen something like this in recent memory with vacillations at the number one pick? And Sam Darnold was not the presumed number one guy in that class, but the, the betting favorite for a majority of the time. And then you did see Josh Allen at one point get some heat in that market. And then on draft day, in the span of 30 minutes, the Marcus aggressively moved towards Baker Mayfield, and you knew that was the pick. But that really was the last time uh, this close to the NFL draft that the identity of the number one pick was this wide open. Are, are, are you surprised by how much it seems one mock draft can sometimes swing the odds? I mean, we've seen that. I mean, it feels like this week with Walker moving ahead of, uh, of Hutchinson, it was based almost purely on the, the Peter King mock draft. Is, is it surprising to you that, uh, that, that those are having the influence that they are having on the betting markets? No, uh, in part because it's an information market and it doesn't take much money 
to move the lines, especially, you know, a week or two out. And so anytime Daniel Jeremiah or Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay or your Peter King, anytime someone with a, a public megaphone does a mock draft, it can move the markets. And sometimes it can be pretty advantageous, uh, not to say like to fade those guys, but there can be a market overreaction based on what those guys see. And so there can be some value sometimes on the other side or you know, looking at some of the players who have been moved down the board because of uh, the betting action. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious, Matt, about uh, you know when's the best time to place wagers on the NFL draft. My theory would be somebody who's as knowledgeable as you are would probably do best the sort of in-game, you might call it, uh, during the draft. I mean, if Hutchinson is not drafted and the Lions have a shot at him, I think the odds of them picking him are about 107, 108%. So I don't care what number I got to give, you know, plus mine, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm giving out. There's no way they're going to let a University of Michigan stud uh, go away. It's just not going to happen. So, um, so is it true that you would, you would mainly, you know, put your money down during the draft, you know, 10, 15, 20th pick um, team desperately needs a secondary guy. Shockingly, you know, a top 10 guy is still on the board and you get him or do you like to do it, you know, the morning of or the week before? I mean, this is unusual where you can make a bet on the number one pick months ahead. Is there any advantage to even trying that? You know, I, I do think that the sharp mock drafters tend to have an edge early on in the process mm. over the books. Because the, the sharp mock drafters, they're obsessed with this stuff. You know, like they already have a sense of who the, the prospects are, what the team needs are. The books, they're just trying to put some lines out there. So I do think early on there is an edge. And then I would also say that the day of, although it seems like that might not be a good time, uh, because, you know, lines have been beat into shape, you know, for 10 weeks or so. The thing is, that is the one day each year that every sharp mock drafter has a fresh mock out there. And so if you can use that information and aggregate it, kind of have a, a wisdom of the crowds approach with that information, I think you can leverage that information against the books, which will have some lines, especially I would say the draft position over unders uh, for particular players. Uh, and the the total number of you know safeties or linebackers, edge rushers, things like that. Uh, total number of those players taken in round one. I think the mock data can be leveraged the day of the draft to provide some pretty uh, pretty significant edges. All right. So if Hutchinson's there for the Lions, am I a little bit too high on 107, 108 percent, or is it is it only in the mid 90s or high 90s? What do you think? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm with you. Whatever juice you have to lay, <laughs> I think you just lay it. Yeah. I, I don't see a world in which maybe let me rephrase that. I don't want to live in a world in which Aiden <laughs> Hutchinson doesn't go number two to the Lions. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> All right. So people are always focused on the quarterbacks, uh, e even in a weaker quarterback class like this one. In your latest mock, you have Malik Willis falling to Pittsburgh at number 20 and then Kenny Pickett at number 26 to Tennessee. And that's it for first round quarterbacks. Are you able to find value out there right now in taking under two and a half quarterbacks in the first round or in taking the over on Willis's position? Is there still value out there in those quarterback markets? Yeah. So the quarterback markets in general, uh, I think that if you just blindly bet the over on Malik Willis, the over on Kenny Pickett, the over on Matt Corral, just go down the board of the quarterbacks who are out there. Uh, and I'd say if you bet the under 
on the numbers that you find out there. Some books, it's two and a half. Most books, it's three and a half now. Mm. Uh, I, I think there's value on all of those numbers. This is a bad quarterback class. Uh, compare it to last year's, compare it to a couple years before. I just compare it to the span of NFL history. It is a bad class. And I do not think we're going to see a quarterback go in the top five. I doubt we see one go in the top 10. And historically, when the NFL has taken a stand like that uh, against investing premium draft picks in a quarterback, that is an indictment against the rest of the class. Uh, and so I do think we see quarterbacks fall down the board. And I will say also uh, nerd that I am, uh, and there are other nerds like me out there, you know, we have done research and you can see that as important as the quarterback position is in the NFL mock drafters historically have overrated quarterbacks relative to where they end up going in the NFL draft. That is routinely the one position that is mocked too highly. And so I think if uh, you think Malik uh, Willis is going to go, you know, around pick 15, he's probably going to go more around pick 20. And if you think that there's going to be, you know, 2.8 to three quarterbacks in this class, probably more like 2.2 to 2.5. So I am taking the unders on the quarterback props that are out there in terms of number of quarterbacks to go in round one, and then taking the overs on the draft position props for Malik Willis, Kenny uh, Pickett, whatever number Kenny Pickett is at right now. I, I bet it first at 12 and a half. I think it's at 16 and a half. I would still bet it there. Now, let's say hypothetically that your expectations end up not lining up with reality, just in terms of like Malik Willis goes in the top five and yeah. shocking you. Does that sort of throw your whole your whole mock draft, uh, your whole expectation into chaos or or is it OK? He went early, but there still might not be another quarterback taken until Kenny Pickett goes off the board in the 20s. Yeah, I don't think it would throw off the expectations. I would think of it as a team reaching uh, for a player that wouldn't have been one of the top five quarterbacks in last year's class. All right. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I may be overbuying into a sort of a fresh narrative, but you know, this wide receiver rebellion that has suddenly sprung up in the NFL that uh, collectively they've decided they're worth more money than uh, the league thinks they are. And frankly, I think they are. Um, but so then the idea would be, well, wait a minute. Now maybe teams, especially later in the first round, will want to maybe pick a wide receiver if it's a 50, 50 split, because you eliminate the headache either, you know, you, you have leverage against the, the guy who's already grousing or um, you have maybe a top guy you don't have to worry about for few years so i'm thinking wilson williams london alave dotson burks i think are going in the first round and i want to go over uh six and a half so i just need one more uh do you buy into this premise or am i just falling for a uh, you know popular uh, theme no i i buy into the premise and i i do think that six and a half is the right number so mm. i i wouldn't be betting it either way i mean what i can say is if i had to bet it i wouldn't be taking the under I, I know that uh, because I think pretty cleanly we see six in here and there's ample opportunity, both in terms of the prospects and the teams that need wide receivers, ample opportunity for a seventh wide receiver and maybe even an eighth wide receiver to go in round one. It could happen.
Yeah, I think it's a fun sweat, too, because you're probably going to have, say, five in the top 25, right? So then you need two more. But if it's six, you're in great shape. If it's five, you're okay. And even if it's five with two picks left, you never know. You're not out of it. So, you know, you're not going to win it in the 20th pick, but you're not going to lose it in the 25th pick either. So uh, that's, that's, I think, why I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, absolutely. And all of those teams picking in the bottom 10, they need wide receivers, except for maybe the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But almost every other team picking near the end of the draft could conceivably go with a wide receiver. All right. Great stuff. Uh, again, for our listeners, he is at Matt F. The Oracle on Twitter. You can read him at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast and uh, enjoy the draft. And uh, I was reading your article listing all of the bets you've made. So I got to say good luck with your many, many, many bets on the draft coming up here. Thank you. Last year was 298 bets, which was just far too degenerate. Uh, This year, I will probably be under 100. So, you know, a much better work-life balance. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, you guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And I was just fetching last week, John, about how we can never seem to have a week where both of us deliver at the same time. And then we went ahead and had a week where both of us delivered at the same time. Uh, This was our best week in a while. Six winning bets, just one losing bet. Let's break it down. First, a bet placed a couple of weeks ago on the Bucs to beat the Bulls in five games or fewer was a winner with the Bucs closing it out Wednesday night. So we profit $100 on that. Last week, you bet $50 a piece on the teams of Imanon and Zalatoris and Riley to finish in the top 20, and both did, uh, the latter with plenty of room to spare. Uh, Those were both even money. We won $50 for each of those. You also had the Birmingham Stallions minus three and a half points over the Houston Gamblers. The Stallions beat the Gamblers by five, and that was a win for these Gamblers, uh, good for another $50 profit. I had two bets on game three of the Warriors Nugget series. I had Golden State minus one and a half and the total in the game to go over. Both of those won $50 profit on each bet. And lastly, the only loss of the week. It was a small loss, but a tough one just the same. I had Tyson Fury by knockout between rounds seven and 12 for $40 at plus 240. And he dropped Dillian White with an uppercut with about 10 seconds left in the sixth round. And the fight was officially stopped with one second left in the sixth. So we lose $40 on that, but we still won $310 for the week. Not bad at all. We're now down by $3,182. Not good at all. Uh, We also have $885 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,933 available to bet this week. And I'm up first, and I'm starting with boxing, uh, specifically your favorite, John, women's boxing. I know you'll be watching. Uh, actually, actually, I know you won't, in part because it's on DAZN, a streaming network that I'm, uh, t- to use some of your uh, percentage figures, I'm 107 or 108% sure you don't subscribe to DAZN. Um, don't even know anyway. what that is. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Actually, they just got into sports betting. They're uh, potentially partnering with a book in Canada or something like that we reported on recently. So you'll get familiar with the zone, uh, but uh, you certainly don't subscribe to the network. Uh, Anyway, it's probably 
the biggest and best fight in the admittedly limited history of women's boxing headlining in the big room at Madison square garden, Irish Olympic gold medalist, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano from Brooklyn by way of Puerto Rico. There will be serious fan support both ways in New York (laughs) should, should be quite a scene. Um, And it's a great fight. It actually opened at minus minus one ten both ways. Serrano has moved to the position of slight favorite. And I agree with that. I think she's a hair more skilled, The women fight two-minute rounds, which makes knockouts harder to come by. So my expectation here is a close fight that goes to a decision, and I lean Serrano to win. We can get plus 170 on Serrano to win by decision. I actually got it at plus 200 in real life about six weeks ago. It's come down a little, but still a good price at plus 170. So let's bet $80 to win $136. And then also I can find the draw priced as high as 14 to one. This is one fight where I think it's wise to throw a few bucks on the draw. So let's put $10 on that to win 140. All right. So I believe I'm on a five bet winning streak. So that's something. And mm-hmm. uh, now the PGA tour heads in Mexico this week, and it's basically John Rahm and the 143 dwarves uh, for the, for the field. <laughs> it's brutal. Um, I'm going to go top twenties again though. And on bet MGM, because there are no chop pots there. So right. if for instance, your guy finishes an eight way tie for 19th place or something, that's a full on winner, which is a nice uh, little detail, which I haven't needed for a while, but it's still nice to have out there. And uh, once again, I found a pair of even money plays like last week. Uh, so let's go 75 units on Gary Woodland. The ex us open champ was rounding back into top form and fits the course. Well, he's got three top tens in his last six tries and I only need top 20 here in a weak field. So like that one a lot. And then uh, 50 more on young American Aaron wise, who also is trending in the right direction. And he's going to see this as a big opportunity to rack up some key FedEx cup points. All right. Woodland and wise. All right. Uh, so Two mini bets on the NBA worked last week. Uh, I'm going to try that again, but they're not from the same game this time. Um, We have game six of Sixers Raptors tonight. And as a Sixers fan, I am terrified to bet either side, but I do feel good about one player prop. Danny Green's points over under is 8.5. In these games in Toronto with no Thibel, he gets big minutes and He's been in a million big games in his career and is never afraid to shoot. And if everyone else on the Sixers gets tense, he'll be the guy who just keeps firing. He will miss some shots horribly. He is that guy who can drain a three, then airball the next one, and then drain the next one. Um, The last four games on three-pointers, he's gone three for nine, three for seven, two for seven, and four for nine. I think he's a good bet to get to nine points in a huge road playoff game like this. So let's go $55 to win 50 over eight and a half points. And then in the Mavs jazz game six, for some reason, Jalen Brunson's points total remains at 20 and a half. Even though this series, he scored 24, 41, 31, 23, and 24 points. The latter two with Luka Doncic back in the lineup. And you might've thought, Brunson scoring would come back down, but nope, it's still well above that 20 and a half line. He's feeling it. He's clearly this team's second offensive option after Doncic. So let's go $55 to win 50 on Brunson over 20 and a half points in the late game tonight. Uh, and then uh, I, I also have a question for you, uh, John, about possibly cashing out one of our bets. We've never done a cash out on the pod, but we, we have one to consider here. Um, I bet the, on the Suns to win the Western Conference late in the regular season. I bet $100 of our bankroll at plus 150 So it's $100 to return $250. At the time, they looked like the best team in the West. Now Devin Booker is hurt, although likely to return in another week or two. The Warriors are looking great. 
The Suns are up 3-2 on the Pelicans. They're probably going to advance where they would play the Mavs Jazz winner and they would be favored to advance. But Golden State is currently the favorite to win the West. I placed this bet at these same odds in real life, not the same amount, not $100 of my real money, but same odds. So I can take a look and see what the current cash out offer is. And it's $75. They never offer you fair value on these. They want you to cash out if you're nervous and take slightly less than fair value. What do you think? We invested $100. We can get $75 back and lose $25 and move on, or we can let it ride and either lose $100 or get our $100 back plus $150. I think it's close. Do you have any opinion on, on cash out or let it ride here? Well, believe it or not, I actually watched a lot of the Warriors game on Wednesday night, and uh, they did not impress me at all. They mm. hit a couple of key shots late, but you know the Nuggets were you know dead men walking down three yeah. one on the road, and uh, they're able. To, I give them credit for the fight, but Warriors, uh, I don't know. I I didn't have a great feel for them, so I say we let it ride. All right, gambling man John, always willing to <laughs> let it ride. All right, we'll <laughs> yeah. go with that then. Yeah, and then finally, if you listen to the podcast interview, you already know where I'm going with my next bet. But mm-hmm. <laughs> first, I'd like to invite NFL fans in New York, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania who are within reasonable proximity to Jersey. That's millions of people to visit us and help us uh, put more money in the state treasury <laughs> because all three of those states, and this is true of Virginia and Iowa too, by the way, they offer mobile sports betting but not gambling on the NFL draft. Since admittedly, it's not a sporting event, but it's still kind of weird. So, but we have it here. And in most other states too, by the way, if you have mobile sports betting, you probably have NFL draft betting too, but not New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania in particular. So anyway, 110 to win hundred. Yes. on over six and a half wide receivers going in the first round. This is a hot topic on ESPN Wednesday night. Our colleague, Matt Rybotowski and independently made that his favorite play also, you know, Mel Kuyper has the over at seven. Um, are the stars all to align on this bet? I don't think it is. It's going over. I say they're going to be eight receivers taken in the first round. Ooh. All right. I wonder what money you could get, uh, what sort of odds you can get on, on over seven and a half. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll play a conservative. Over six and a half <laughs> works for me. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Matt Friedman. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling. And subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, well, for those of you who are listening to the podcast hot off the presses at lunchtime on Thursday, Eastern time anyway, um, I'll be at Monmouth Park Media Day, as you do. And as with my rotisserie league auction four weeks ago, uh, it's another annual rite of spring passes that I, I suppose I almost took for granted for so many years. But that is until neither event could take place in 2020 or 2021, thanks to the scourge that was COVID-19. Now, in both cases, not every familiar face for so many years is still with us anymore. So we just have to celebrate what we still have left. A little bittersweet, but it's also really, really sweet. So let's all have a great spring and summer to remember whatever long-held annual traditions you get to resume this year. And with that, until next time, gamble on.